This is the Retirement Detective Podcast, where we dive into cases with Philip Mock, chartered financial analyst and certified financial planner professional, to solve common retirement and financial planning questions. Get insight into how to solve quandaries that appear on the path to and through retirement, ideas on how to approach savings and investing for retirement, and how to plan for retirement in a tax-efficient manner. Now, here's your host and lead retirement detective, Philip Mock. Hi everyone, Philip Mock here, and today we're talking about mutual fund expenses on the Retirement Detective Podcast. Mutual fund expenses are really important for most investors to understand, as are all expenses of investing. It's a good case, and we're going to dive into it right now. Mutual funds have actually been around since at least 100 years ago. They were actually in in what we would call a modern form today. They were introduced in the 1920s. And some funds today can trace their roots back all the way to funds that actually came out in the early 1930s. So mutual funds have been a part of our investing world for quite some time, but they really gained popularity in the 1970s. There are a number of different types of funds and they have different characteristics, some characteristics they share. There are open-ended mutual funds, there are closed-ended funds, there are exchange-traded funds. Today, we're really gonna focus on open-ended funds because I think, in my opinion, those have the most complex fee universe. So there's lots of different types of fees, lots of different layers of fees potentially. So that's really, I think, where I wanna focus on today Today, I really want to look at open-ended mutual fund expenses. A mutual fund is basically a basket of securities. If you wanted to buy with just one purchase a completely diversified portfolio within a certain asset class or asset classes, that's a fund. That's, That's a great way to do that. If you want to build that portfolio yourself with individual securities, be it stocks or bonds, you could do that too but it does take more time, more effort. There's a lot more purchases. Your account needs to be of a certain size to at least have the appropriate proportion of all the things that you wanna buy. Mutual funds are great because when you buy a mutual fund, you're buying a piece of a much, much, much larger pie. And you can do that in many cases with very little or no minimum purchase amount, You know, even as little as $50. A mutual fund, pool of assets is managed by someone known as a portfolio manager, and it's their job to follow the mandate of the fund. The fund's mandate is basically what it's gone out and advertised that it intends to invest in, or what it intends to invest in. There are thousands and thousands of funds with all different types of mandates, different types of strategies, and we could talk for hours about what they all are. But one of the most important things to understand about them is how much they cost. Because all funds have a cost. You you have to buy it, that may have a cost. When you hold it, that has a cost because in the background there's either a portfolio manager or a team of portfolio managers. They may or may not have a team behind them and office space and all these other things that go into making the fund exist so that you can purchase it. Historically, over time, fund expenses have generally come down, though 
There are still some types of funds out there that are fairly expensive, and some asset classes are generally more expensive. We'll talk about all of that. Today, I really want to focus on what are the different types of fees? What do they mean? What do they mean for you as an investor? How can I equip you to find the fees and know where to look for them? And then once you have this information, how do you dissect it and, and make an informed decision with it? Mutual fund expenses can be complicated, but they can usually be boiled down into three key areas. You have a commission or sales charge. Sometimes they're called a load. Not all funds have this, but some do. Second category is the operating expenses. So these are the fees to keep the mutual fund running, pays for the employees at the fund that work on the fund, office space, etc. And then you have what I would call revenue sharing and marketing fees. Fund fees are a little more complicated than being in just those three areas, but to keep it simple, most mutual fund fees fit into one of those three categories. A fund may have all three. A fund may have two out of three. A fund may have only one of the three. So let's start with the one of the three. An operating expense ratio is actually really pretty close to what it sounds like. This is the fund ratio that represents the cost of the operating expenses of the fund. So this is the fund category that's paying for payroll for the employees that work on the fund, paying for software and data expenses, paying for the office space. When you buy a fund, it didn't just appear. A lot of work went into that to create it, to keep it up and running, to maintain it, and to keep track of all the rules and compliance that allow a fund to be traded. And there's costs associated with that. So an operating expense ratio is intended to cover those expenses. And then admittedly for a fund company, there's a little bit of a profit margin built in there as there is with most things, whether you, you, you're buying a car, you're buying a pair of jeans, you're buying a shirt, you're buying a new home from a builder, nearly everything has a profit margin built in. Sometimes operating expenses are further broken up into, you know, more subcategories. One is usually the management fee. This is the, the heart of the operating expense fee that is principally for the fund management. And then sometimes it uh, separates the administrative fees for the overhead, basically. I want to go on and say up front, I'm going to be looking at a particular fund today, but I'm not going to tell you what it is as a, a real world example of what I see in a particular fund. When you look at a fund, there's lots of different share classes, and these are the different avenues through which it can be purchased. Share classes are another way to say different fee structures. When you buy one particular share class of the same fund as someone else that owns a different share class, you're really buying the same pool of assets, but one of you is being charged differently for it than the other. The operating expense ratio is consistent across all share classes and all fee structures. It's there because the fund has to pay its bills. It has to pay the various expenses that are associated with paying for the fund. Now, this particular example fund I'm looking at, across every share class, the management fees are exactly the same for every single share class. This particular fund I'm looking at has 21 different share classes. 
After that, though, things start to get very, very different. Let's talk about probably the, maybe the most controversial fee type, and that is the sales charge, which is the load. The sales charge is paid usually in one of two or three ways. You have what's called a front-end sales load, and a front-end load is a fee that's paid when you purchase the fund. It's, it's basically a commission. So let's say that you have $100 and you purchase a one fund with it, and that particular fund has a 5% sales charge on the front end. After you purchase that five end, or excuse me, after you purchase that front end loaded fund with the 5% commission, your value in that fund is immediately $5 less. So you had $100, five went out in commission, you have $95 left. Often, that's considered the class A. So different share classes of funds have different letters associated with them. There is a lot of commonality between the fund companies with regard to certain share classes. And for most fund companies, a fund with a front-end load where there's an immediate commission upon you purchasing it, that's often the A class. A B class fund is sometimes called a deferred sales charge or a back-end load. B funds are the opposite. So you had $100, you purchase it in this fund, and with a back-end load, there is no immediate commission. Instead, there's a commission later when you sell it. So if the fund goes up or down, the fund company is going to take, or maybe better to say the broker that sold it to you is going to take a commission at the end upon sale. So no commission at the beginning, but there was a commission at the end based on what the value was at that time. It may have gone up, it may have gone down, but there's the commission at the end. C-share mutual funds have what's commonly called a level load. So instead of the commission being at the beginning or the end, it's spread out over time. In all three cases, whether it's a front-end load, a back-end load that you pay when you sell it, or the level load that is much smaller in each year, but it is there every year. In each of those cases, it's a commission, and it goes to the person and or company that sold it to you. It is generally sold by brokers, which is different than an investment advisor representative. Brokers are held to a different standard, and it is important for investors to understand when they're working with a broker versus an investment advisor representative that the types of funds and investments that may be made through working with that person may not be the exact same. Different types of advisory firms, whether they're brokerage firms versus investment advisor firms, have different fee structures. Some operate as fiduciaries and some don't. Often investment advisors and investment advisor representatives are operating as a fiduciary. Often brokerages and brokers are not. They're operating under something different called the suitability standard. I'm not here today to wade into 
you know, one is good, one is bad and, and, and all that. I am here to say though, that those two types of firms generally are purchasing and buying for their clients very differently when it comes to fee structures. In many cases, brokers typically are purchasing funds for their clients that have some sort of load, either a front-end load, a back-end load, or that level load. That's a commission. That's what pays them. I'm not here to speak about different firms' business structures and how they make money, but in general, often, not in every case, but often, brokerage firms, that is the principal way that they make money. They make money through commissions and transactions. So if that salesperson sells you that fund and they make a, let's take a front-end load, for instance, a a class A front-end load fund and they make a commission, that's how they got paid for that event. They may also get paid if it's a back-end load later when you sell it, but that's the principal avenue from which they get paid. A fiduciary advisor, an investment advisor, may get paid differently. Sometimes they charge a flat fee for management, certain dollar amount per year. They may charge a percentage of the assets under management. I would say most advisors charge one of the two, either a flat fee or a fee based on the percentage of the assets under management. When you're working with an advisor or if you're out on your own making these choices on your own, I believe the commission funds, commissioned funds, are really important to understand because commissions can really be quite large. So back to this particular fund that I'm looking at right now, this real world fund, the front end load for this particular fund is 5.75%. The back end load for this particular fund is 1%. This particular fund does not have a level load option. Class A funds, Class B funds, the back-end load funds, and Class C funds, the... I just want to say real quick, the letters are not always... Sometimes the Class C fund is the back-end load. You really have to investigate it, but in general, those letters I mentioned earlier are generally how it works. Those also have the operating expense ratios. So when you're evaluating the fund, you're going to have a front-end, back-end, or level commission paid out, and then you're also going to pay the operating expenses because everybody pays those. Those are, to some degree, unavoidable. Then there's a third type of charge that some funds have, some funds don't. And this is called a distribution fee, or sometimes it's called a marketing or a revenue share fee. Um, The technical term you'll sometimes see is it's called a 12B-1 fee. This fee is usually smaller Um, For this particular fund I'm looking at right now, the 12B1 fee can range from anywhere between one quarter of 1% to one full percent. And this is a fee that's charged each year. Often, Class A, B, and C funds have 12B1 fees also. So if you're buying a commissioned mutual fund with a front-end load, a back-end load, or a level load, you're paying that commission you're also paying a operating expense fee, and then you're also paying this 12B1 fee. The 12B1 fee you're paying every year, and the operating expense ratio you're paying every year. 
you're also paying the commission, but the commission is only in the class of the front end or the back end when you either buy it or sell it. The level load, it would be in every year also. As you're maybe contemplating, this can add up quite a bit. This particular fund I'm looking at has a front end load if you're buying the class A share of 5.75%. It has an operating expense ratio of 0.36% or 36 one hundredths of a percent. And then it has a 12B1 fee of 0.24. Commission on the front end would be 5.75%. And then the ongoing annual operating expenses would be 0.6%. The Back end load for this fund is um, 1%. So you'd have a 1% fee due at the time of sale. And it also has a 12B1 fee of 1%. So you're paying 1% in 12B1 fees each year. And then the operating expenses of 0.36%. So that's 1.36 every year plus 1% at the end. There are some fund classes that have no commission but do have the 12B1 fee. The letters here are, are less common to try to nail down across all the different fund companies which letter class you should look for, but this particular fund I'm looking at, it is the, um, well, I'm not going to say the letter because I think that would actually give away which fund I'm looking at. So there are, I can tell you it would not be normally letter I or R, so it's going to be another letter other than I or R that has no commission, but does have the 12B1 fee and does still have the operating expense ratio. So that's kind of a middle ground. On the most inexpensive end, you would find the I generally and the R generally. Let's start with the R. R classes are usually reserved for only being in retirement plan accounts. So this brings up an important topic. Certain share classes of mutual funds can only be purchased in certain types of accounts. For instance, a class A share may not be permitted inside of a 401k plan or 403b plan. A class R share may only be allowed to be purchased in a retirement plan. Often class R shares do not have commissions. Sometimes they have 12B1 fees, sometimes they don't. I think generally they're more often do not, but I will say this particular fund I'm looking at has several different levels of R class and some of them have a 12B1 fee and some of them don't. On the most inexpensive end, you have often what's called the I share, which is, stands for institutional. And it usually does not have a 12B1 fee or a commission. So all you're paying for that fund is the operating expense ratio, which is as low as you can go. As I mentioned earlier, every fund has an operating expense ratio and it's pretty uniform across all of the share classes. So you, you're going to pay that no matter what. Something important to talk about is redemption fees. So for some share classes, if you don't hold the fund for a long period of time, they'll penalize you with what's called a short-term redemption fee. Not every share class has this. Each fund is different. Each fund family is different. Um, can be as much as one or 2%, but usually if you hold the fund for a long time, uh, I would consider that to be years. 
you don't have to worry about a short-term redemption fee. If you're moving in and out of a mutual fund, in some cases in less than a year or even less than 30 days, there's a chance that either the fund company will penalize you with a short-term redemption fee or they may block the transaction at all. In some cases, a class A, B, or C fund, more often the front end and the back end, back end load funds, can have their fees waived. So the broker may say, or maybe there's a certain dollar amount that the fund company says, if your investment's over this amount and you buy the A share, the front end load, we're actually not gonna charge the commission. In that case, it's still an A share. It's still the same ticker as the A share, but you're not paying the commission charge. To kind of summarize what we've talked about so far, we've talked about commissions. There's front-end loads, back-end loads, and level loads. There's the sales and marketing fee, or otherwise known as the 12B1 fee. That's a recurring annual fee that usually goes to the broker or to the fund company or the brokerage, and you pay that fee every year, as long as you own it. And then there's the operating expenses. Everybody pays the operating expenses, and they're pretty uniform across all the different share classes. So on the most expensive end, if you're buying a fund with a load, you're most likely paying a commission, you're paying an annual 12B1 fee, and you're paying the operating expenses. On the low end, the institutional, you may be only paying the operating expenses. No commissions, no 12B1 fee. So you say to yourself, well, why doesn't everybody just go out and buy the institutional? That's clearly the cheapest. Well, funds have minimums. So different share classes have different minimums for one thing. And that's the biggest, I think, distinguishing factor between institutional and the rest is often the lowest cost fund options require the most money invested or there's the presence of a salesperson. So if a salesperson is in the mix, in the equation, they most likely are going to steer someone towards the commission product because that's how they put food on their table. If there's an advisor that's not a salesperson, they're a fiduciary, and or there's a do-it-yourselfer that's out there just shopping for funds themselves, they're clearly going to want to find the fund with the lowest expenses, but they may find that the fund with the lowest expenses are not available to them. Sometimes minimums can be $1,000, $10,000, a million dollars. I can think of one particular mutual fund where the least expensive share class requires a $10 million minimum. Not everyone's going to meet that, obviously. Um, a lot easier to meet the $10,000, $100,000 threshold. A $10 million threshold is a big, big number. So when you're evaluating a fund, in my opinion, you should try to gravitate towards the, after you've selected a fund, you've done your research and you say, you know what, I, I really like this fund. I like the management team. I like their process. I want to buy this fund. Then you should say, what is the least expensive way for me to get into this fund? So that brings me to my next topic. How do you find all this information? How, how do I know all this information other than the fact that I'm in the industry, I've done this a long time. How do you know this? How do you find this stuff? So that's in the prospectus. So a prospectus is a governing document for a mutual fund. 
every fund has a prospectus. The name may sound familiar because that word is associated with some other things too. So when a, a company goes public or is about to be publicly traded, they'll issue a prospectus, which basically describes the company. Some private stock, private investments will issue a prospectus, but funds issue prospectuses too. And within the prospectus, you can find everything you'd want to know about the fund and what the costs are. You'll also find all of the conditions upon purchase and sale. So maybe you can only purchase the fund in certain amounts, increments. Maybe it's increments of 100. Or maybe the first purchase has to be in increments of 100, but subsequent purchases do not. You'll learn what are the minimums for each asset, or excuse me, each share class. So let's say you have $100,000 to invest. You may see that you know, it's the third from the lowest share class that's available to you. So that's maybe what you go with. You have to do some analysis and research. So where do you find a prospectus? I think the easiest place to find a prospectus is the fund's website. So let's make a make-believe fund company. It's the ABC Fund Company. So you go to the ABC Fund Company's website you've identified the fund that you really like. Let's just pretend it's a large cap U.S. stock mutual fund. So you go to the ABC company website, you find their products, you find the large cap U.S. stock fund, you select it, and then you're going to look for the prospectus. You're going to find a lot of other documents. You're going to find something called the prospectus. You're going to find something called the summary prospectus. You're going to find the SAI, the Supplementary Annual Information page, and probably some lots of other stuff. But at a minimum, you're going to find the prospectus. That is the most authoritative document to examine to determine how much it costs. Some of you listening may be saying, oh, but I can go to my brokerage website, research the fund, and it will tell me what the expenses are. I don't disagree with you. That can work. However, if you want the most up-to-date, authoritative source on where to get that information, I would recommend that you get it directly from the fund company. You go to the fund company, you find the website, you could probably call and ask them to mail it to you. I've never done that, but I bet they would do it. And when you get it, you find the fund in there. Often prospectuses are grouped. And so one document may actually have the prospectus for several different funds in there. Maybe they're all related, maybe they're not. You'll need to search in there and find the fund you want, and then you'll learn everything you want to know about that fund. Prospectuses can be pretty lengthy, so this particular fund I'm looking at, the prospectus is about 60 pages, so that's a lot of reading to do if you're going to research this fund completely, but um, once you find it, there will be an index or a table of contents, and you'll want to try to find the fees and expenses section. The key things to look for are the different share classes to understand which share classes have sales charges or loads, which ones don't, which share classes have 12B1 fees, which ones don't, and then to see what the operating expense ratios are because the operating expenses, as I've said several times already, are there for everybody. So. If a fund has a really high operating expense ratio, it means no matter what you do, this fund may have a relatively high expense for you, and you may decide that that may be worth it, it may not. 
Additionally, you should look into the prospectus on what any short-term redemption fees are. Um, I would also look for anything in there related to the phrase round trip, which means um, if you purchase and sell or purchase, sell, purchase again, you go in and out, in and out within a certain time period, they may lock you out, they may penalize you. Um, the, the prospectus will be extremely clear on what you can and cannot do with that fund either before or after you purchase it or before or after you sell it, what it will cost you. And usually the fund prospectuses will show a, a very simple example of what the fees would be. So it may say, here's what a thousand dollars would look like invested in this fund over one year, three year and five years for all the different share classes. So you can see the impact of the different fees and fee structures on your returns over time. The last thing I want to mention as it relates to mutual fund expenses is that um, I'm going to give a, a couple of things to consider. So there are active funds and passive funds. Passive funds are sometimes called index funds. Active funds involve a portfolio manager actively selecting securities in an effort to outperform the market. That takes more work than a passive fund, which is there to really match the market. So it picks a particular index and tries to replicate it. And many times that's done with a computer. That is less expensive to run than an active fund where you have maybe a whole team doing research, selecting securities in an effort to outperform the market. I'm not here to say better or worse, but I will say in general, active funds are more expensive than passive funds. Additionally, more transparent asset classes tend to be less expensive. So for instance, in the United States, large cap stocks, large US stocks tend to be one of the most transparent asset classes across the world. So if you're buying large US stocks, that's going to be less expensive than if you're looking for extremely small Eastern European stocks, for instance, not because there's anything good or bad with Eastern Europe, but more that that market for us in the US is less transparent. It's that information is harder to get. Can it be obtained? Yes. Can you find a lot of the same information? Yes. Is it harder to get? Yes. You have currency differences. You have language differences. You have understanding the differences in financial reporting. You have the understanding and the differences of the regulations and regulatory environment that those companies operate. So it requires someone or something, a computer, a series of computers, a series of people on a team, something to navigate that difference for you. And it tends to make it more expensive. Everyone I've really enjoyed going through mutual fund expenses today. We really took a deep dive into this case and uh, look forward to seeing you on the podcast next week. This recording strictly is for informational, educational, and entertainment purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of recording. Such opinions are subject to change. 
Philip Mock is an owner of 1522 Financial LLC. 1522 Financial LLC is a registered investment advisor with its principal place of business in the state of Oklahoma. Registration of an investment advisor does not imply a certain level of skill or training. The views and opinions of guests on this program are not necessarily those of 1522 Financial LLC. 1522 Financial LLC is not affiliated with any guest or his or her business affiliates unless otherwise stated. 1522 Financial LLC does not guarantee the accuracy or the completeness of the data presented herein. 1522 Financial LLC shall not be responsible for any trading decisions, damages, or other losses resulting from or related to the information, data analysis, or opinions, or their use. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investments are subject to investment risk, including possible loss of principal. Individuals should seriously consider if an investment is suitable for them by referencing their own financial position, investment objectives, and risk profile before making any investment decisions. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, accounting, or other professional services, and nothing in this podcast should be relied upon as rendering legal, financial, accounting, or other professional services. Philip Mock is not a detective or law enforcement officer. Any reference to cases or case files is purely for entertainment purposes only.